Boy, after that song of speaking the name of Jesus, I want just to pause for a, for a minute this morning. Some of you will be with family and friends this week who uh, maybe having grown up in church now, they're far from the Lord. Many of you have family members that uh, don't know Jesus personally. And so I, I think that, uh, can we just speak the name of Jesus and pray for the Lord to open up divine doors this week? Would we just take a moment and, and maybe for people that are on your heart today and just pray the name of Jesus over, over them today? That wherever they are, God would just move through the person of the Holy Spirit and, and bring a sense of conviction or bring back a memory verse that they learned or a song that they learned. Let's just take a moment and, and I just feel like we ought to pray that this morning. Lord Jesus, we humble ourselves before you today. Thank you that someone spoke the name of Jesus to us. Whether we grew up in a Christian home or someone invited us to youth group or as an adult, we just had a spiritual hunger. Lord Jesus, we recognize your hand was at work. And your hand is at work today. You still save. There is salvation in no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Except the name of Jesus. And so Lord I pray for our precious church family as they meet with family and friends this week. Some may not know Jesus as their savior. So God, would you open a divine door? Some may be far from you, Lord. Kids or grandkids who have grown up in the church and have been allured away by the entrapments of the world. Father, I pray that you would open opportunities to speak the name of Jesus. Lord, we recognize it is not by our might not by our power, not by our persuasive words, and not by our intellect, but by your Spirit and through your Son that you save. And so, Lord, give us the words this week. Help us to point people to Jesus. He is our hope. Lord Jesus, you are our life. You are our everything. Lord, I pray that you would Help us to stand with great courage this week. In your awesome and powerful name. Amen. Amen. I had not heard that song before, and that was great. Thanks, David and Debbie and choir. That was good. Well, it is getting to this last uh, couple of months of the year, last weeks of the year, and as we think about those uh, we're going to start thinking after Thanksgiving. Now, we're not going to talk about this this week because it's Thanksgiving week, but there, I, I read an article recently. Uh, it's a couple years old, but it was written by a doctor and a dietitian, and it was eight signs that you are actually healthy. <laughs> eight signs that you're actually healthy. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, let's talk about those today, uh, just for a minute as, as we begin to, to 
think about marks of a healthy believer. So eight signs that you really might be healthy, even if it doesn't feel like it. That's really the whole article, uh, title of the article. Number one, you eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. So sometimes you can forget to eat and then you are you eat too much or you eat mindlessly in front of the TV and snack. He says, just eat when you're hungry and and stop when you're full. You're eating a, a very diet rich in whole foods. You're eating enough. You can make it up two flights of stairs and feel pretty good. Now, this is a sign that you're healthy. You can make it up two flights of stairs and still feel pretty good. You embrace your full range of emotions. You demonstrate emotional well-being. You can wake up without an alarm clock. You wake up in the morning and you feel rested and refreshed. Well, I thought, really, anybody can wake up without an alarm clock. It might be 11 o'clock. I've got boys around my house. But uh, anyway, but I think they're saying that you wake up to get to where you need to be in the morning. You're not falling asleep too quickly. I found this interesting. They said if you're falling asleep too quickly, it could show that you're sleep deprived and that you should fall asleep in 10 to 20 minutes. So like if people who say, you know, boom, as soon as I hit the pillow, I'm I'm asleep, that may be a sign that you're sleep deprived, they say. And you have enough energy to do the things that you want to do. Well, there's a couple of people's opinion about physical health and, uh, you know, Next time you go for your checkup and your doctor tells you, yeah, your cholesterol's high and you need to lose weight and you got all these issues, just say, hey, I just walked up two flights of steps. I'm fine. So anyway, see, see if they buy that, okay? Well, when we think about our physical life we, we, and think about the signs of what health really involves, we then turn and think, well, what does a spiritually healthy believer look like? And I think Paul brings that out to us at the end of 1 Thessalonians. So take your Bibles this morning, and we're going to jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 16 through 18. These are some of the shortest verses in all of the Bible, and yet some of the hardest verses to live. If you ever get in a memory contest, though, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, and 17 are two good verses to have in your pocket if you're, you know to say, look how many verses I know. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As we think about Thanksgiving week, we take a week, most of the time we're thinking from the Sunday as we get prepared for that Thursday, we take that week and we are mindful of the things that we are thankful for in life. Some of the first words that we teach our children when they are young are the words, thank you. Some of the most consistent reminders that we often are uh, put before our children throughout their whole time in in our home is, did you say thank you? Did you remember to say thank you? What do you say? It's those kind of things. We constantly are reminding and building this sense of, of joy and thankfulness in the hearts and lives of our children. Now, we recognize where we are in the context of Paul's letter. 
as he is at the end of chapter 4, just talked about the return of Christ. And then it goes into chapter 5 and he talks about the day of the Lord. Jesus is coming. Judgment is coming. And then it is, it's as if in verses 12 through 15, he lays out. And because of that, this is what a healthy church is going to look like. And, and he says that, that ministers are to work hard and the church is to love them. And that together they are to go about in ministry together. And then it's as if he says, look, I've talked to everybody, I've talked to the church, and now let me zero in on you. So this is not a message for the person next to you. It's not a message to elbow your spouse on. This is a challenge for all of us in that these are the marks of what a healthy individual believer is going to look like. And as I said, though these verses are very short, they are packed with a humongous challenge, that we are to be people who are worshipful and joyful, that we are to be people who are prayerful, and that we are to be people who are thankful. That's the theme. Be someone who is worshipful, prayerful, thankful. That this, when this attitude permeates our life, it is going to have a dramatic effect on those that are around us and our church family. And it is going to give us cause to remember, hey, there is something, someone that has made their life different. Something, salvation, someone, Jesus. Jesus has made their life different. So let's pick up the three commands that are listed. Again, we pick up in verse number 16 with this short command, rejoice always. The Christian life should be characterized by a sense of joy. Now, joy is not something that happens externally as everything in our sphere or universe works out the way that we desire. It is not that I can externally get my job right and my finances right and my family right and all of that circumstance, all of those earthly external circumstances can then on the outside bring joy to me on the inside. Joy is not something that we have to work out, but joy is something that works into us internally through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, we recognize that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22 is love and then joy. So there is this sense of joy that is to permeate the life of those of us who are believers. Now, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. Remember where Paul was just before he came into Thessalonica. In Acts 17, Paul is in Thessalonica. But at the end of Acts chapter 16, do you remember what happens? Paul is arrested in Philippi. They are beaten. He and Silas are thrown into uh, stocks, are put in stocks and thrown in the deepest part of the prison. And it tells us that at midnight they were praying and singing praise. So that their joy was not dependent upon their external circumstances working out, but the Holy Spirit working in, which brought joy without, on the outside. You can't do this backwards. 
The world says, man, if you can just get all of these things right in your life, then you can experience joy and peace and harmony on the inside. That doesn't work and will never work and has never worked. Instead, joy is an inside out job. If you are not experiencing joy today, it is not because it is not offered and it is not because it is not available The Bible, again, reminds us that joy as a fruit of the Spirit is something something that works from the inside to the outside. I remember when, you know, reading in in the book of Luke, when the disciples go off and and, uh, they come back with this great report, Lord, man, uh, we've been able to preach with great power and cast out demons and do miracles. And the Lord says, guys, let's just stop right here. And rejoice that your name is written in heaven. If you know Jesus personally today, then you have a reason to rejoice. Even when life isn't fun. Even when life is hard. Even when it's difficult. Because it doesn't say rejoice most of the time, some of the time. He he doesn't give that picture at all. It uses that word always. Now, I find it very interesting, just as as a little side note. This is the shortest verse in the Greek New Testament. Rejoice always. Bible quiz. What's the shortest verse in the English New Testament? Jesus wept. Now, isn't it interesting that the shortest verse in the New Testament in the Greek New Testament is rejoice always. And the shortest verse in the English New Testament is Jesus wept. Think about Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, verse number 37. It says, as he goes into the garden of Gethsemane, he is sorrowful and very distressed. And yet, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two says, that we are looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What does that teach us? That even through the sorrows and the difficulties and the hardships of life, and we've all been through them, we've lived long enough to, to shed tears over people that we love and have been sick or those who have died. We have all seen acts of of, uh, injustice and we've all seen things that just didn't seem fair and they brought tears to our eyes. And yet with the sorrow, we as believers can experience this joy down in our heart because of who Jesus is and what he has done. I... You know, I, our family loves music. And so as we were thinking about, as I was thinking about this verse, actually this morning woke up, I was thinking about the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. It was written, uh, I've lost the guy's name right now because I didn't write it down. I just read it this morning. And uh, it was written by uh, a Methodist minister who had uh, one of these camps and he was a gospel crusader is what they, what, what they termed him as. But you remember, I've got the joy down uh, in my heart. And then he goes to that next verse. I've 
got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. I've got the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. There is therefore now no condemnation down in my heart. I don't think I ever sang that verse when I was a kid, but that nevertheless is the fourth verse of that song. There is therefore now no condemnation down in my heart. That gives us reason. If we can experience peace that passes understanding and the love of Jesus and know there is no condemnation, then we can have the joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Do you know him? If you know the Lord, then you have the access to the one who provides joy, even when life isn't always joyful. Rejoice always. Then the next verse, pray without ceasing. The the picture is, is that we are to be people who pray persistently. Again, just a very short verse. And yet it is laid out that we are to be people who are praying. Now, this doesn't mean that we go down with our, you know, we, we take off with our, uh, you know, head bowed and our eyes closed if we, as we take off on 70, you know. The, the, it doesn't mean that we always can assume a posture of, of what we would consider prayer. The word, uh, as, as we think about pray without ceasing, the word without ceasing gives the picture of, of from like medical, a hacking cough. It is recurring, but it, is not consistently and constantly occurring. You've had a cough and it, uh, and then a few minutes later, uh, and then a minute later, uh, and then five seconds later, uh, and then you go a whole minute and uh. it's recurring, but it is not, you don't, when you have a hacking cough, it doesn't mean that 24 seven, you are just, uh, 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 okay. It doesn't mean you're coughing every second, but it does mean that this is constantly recurring in our life. And the picture of praying without ceasing says, hey, as you go about your day, your mind works way faster than, than, than your job is moving. Or your mind constantly is moving. And as you're driving down the road and you have the thought of the Lord, then take time to pray. I've heard people who've said, you know, every time I hear a siren, and I, I don't do this every time, but many times, you hear a siren, and you just let out a, a, a voice of, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but God, would you please move? As you think about your children, you take a moment and just whisper a prayer. The, the, the issue of praying without ceasing gives us the challenge that we are to be people who focus on God that we are to be people who stay focused through our life and that as we go about our day and we have those moments that I am consistently and constantly, a recurring theme in my life is I go back to prayer. God is at the forefront. Now, again, that doesn't mean every second of every day that I can be with prayer in, in prayer but it does mean I can have an ongoing conversation with God all day, every day, and it just be constantly recurring. Now, God wants you to focus on him. I think that shows that. But then the other part of that is that God not only wants you to focus on him, but God wants to hear from you. God wants to hear from you. Pray without ceasing because God wants to hear from you. God wants you to express that to him. God wants your focus to be on him and he wants you to share 
your life with him. He already knows everything about you, but he is calling us to be people of prayer. One of the things that my kids have heard constantly, because we lived away from, uh, you know, this Missouri general St. Louis area for 18 years, and through the boys' early years of their life, my constant mantra upon them was this, boys, call your mom. When you get older, don't forget to call your mom. And when I call my mom on the phone, still today, I hang up the phone and I say, boys, what'd you learn? What do you need to be reminded? Okay, dad, we call our mom. Matter of fact, uh, one of the kids that we kind of have brought in and is a friend of Micah and he's married and moved now, uh, Danny Panic, he said, one of my teachers in high school asked this question, what do your parents consistently say? And he said, you know what I thought? I thought back to you saying, call your mom. That's exactly right. He was over at our house enough to know that is consistent. Call your mom. When you get older, when you're out of the house, call your mom. And here's the picture to us. Talk to the Lord. Throughout your day, talk to the Lord. When, when you have a spare moment and you focus and you think, talk to him. God wants you to focus on him and God wants to hear from you. Thirdly, we're rejoicing always. We're praying without ceasing. And then it tells us that in everything, we are to give thanks in everything. Give thanks in everything. That thought of giving thanks. And here we are today, anticipating thanksgiving. Give thanks. We'll look at Psalm 100 in our Bible study today. And that theme of of coming before the Lord and we're shouting thankfully. We're, We're recognizing who he is, what he has done. We give thanks in everything. This does not necessarily mean that everything is good. And everything is easy. But in everything, there is something to, that can be found to be thankful about. When we think about the providence of God and the wonder-working sovereign hand of God, you know this, that even through the challenges, you can say, God, thank you that you're with me. God, thank you that you'll never leave me nor forsake me. God, thank you that you've shown your love to me through Jesus. God, thank you that, that because of Jesus, I have hope in life and hope for all eternity. God, thank you. Romans 8.28 is still part of God's word and true, despite what sometimes we may feel amid our circumstances, that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We don't understand it. We don't see it. And he's not saying you have to understand everything. Instead, he says, in everything, give thanks. But then at the end of these short commands, he throws this challenge in there that we are to, Give thanks in everything. And then he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. As a pastor, 
one of the most common questions people ask is, you know, how, how do I know God's will? And they come in and they're aggravated at work and things aren't going well at home and they're kicking and they're grumbling and they say, I just need to find God's will for my life. Well, what does the Bible tell us as God's will is? That you rejoice, that you pray, and that in everything you give thanks. So why don't you just start there And then when you do the things that clearly are laid out for us in the scripture to do, then allow and trust God to lead you into the things that you don't know to do. A big challenge. Don't you find it interesting? This is the will of God. Man, if I just found God's will, life would be easy. Do you know some of the people in the Bible who knew God's will? Did Jonah, was he thrilled to do God's will? Oh yeah, Lord, that sounds like a great plan. I love it. Nineveh, man, I'm headed there. No, it didn't sound so great at that moment. It's interesting, we just think, man, if I just know God's will, then I will just absolutely and quickly do it. Not necessarily. Could you imagine if... God would tap you on the shoulder and say, I want you to leave your family and everything you know and just set out on a destination to a land that I haven't showed you yet. I have a feeling that that you wouldn't be jumping up and down rejoicing over that. You would probably be quite anxious. God's will was not meant to be easy. It's not a walk that is simple. It is a walk that is by faith. But as we look at God's will, he says, let me just make it real clear to you. This is my will. This is my will for you this week and the next week and going into 2022 if the Lord Jesus tarries. Rejoice. Pray. Give thanks. Rejoice. Pray, give thanks. I I know you are probably coming to church this morning, maybe looking for a little bit more than that. I mean, you think, come on. I mean, you've got rejoice. That's at least two syllables. Pray, one syllable. Give thanks, two more, one syllable. You are looking for a little bit more. And yet the challenge is rejoice, pray, give thanks. And as we come and take a moment, and as we think about the Lord's Supper, let's think about Jesus for a moment. Matthew chapter 26. And as we think about Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They are celebrating the Passover, God's awesome and wonderful deliverance from Egypt. They have been freed and now they are celebrating this great act of God's salvation in the Old Testament. And Jesus, as they're celebrating that Passover with his disciples in verse number 17 and following, it says in verse number 26 of Matthew 26. And as they were eating, 
Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it. He blessed. We get our word eulogy from the, from the word that is used for blessed here. Okay? He blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. But notice verse number 27. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. Whoa. Hit the pause button here. This is actually the word that we get the word Eucharist from. He gave thanks. What was this cup going to picture? He tells us exactly. Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. As Jesus is nearing the cross, as Jesus is anticipating, he knows Isaiah 53. He knows that he is going to be wounded and bruised. He knows that his visage, his body is going to be marred beyond recognition. He knew that it was going to please God to bruise him. And yet, the very cup that pictures his blood, he gives thanks. And because he gave thanks and followed God's will, we come today recognizing that in everything, we can give thanks. Because we know that all things are working together for good. And Jesus' life and his death worked together for God's glory and for our good. And that's why we truly have something salvation and someone, our Savior, to be thankful for.